The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in a household that prioritized sports, and she learned to find joy in movement. Plus, her parents taught her to have a strong work ethic and to be selfless in service to others. As an adult, she explored medicine, TV, and music. She traveled the world with UNICEF and taught youth sports. She realized she loved to create. In fact, it was a must for her. So she created Songs for Seeds, a rockin' kids music program. She opened a classroom for preschool children to have a safe place to play and learn. And with each new venture, her path to greatness continued to unfold as she impacted others around the world. Today, she has moved into another space of service as she helps others experience calmness and clarity in this precious journey called life. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Allison Qualter. Allison, thank you for joining me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So we're you can see we're already starting off to have some fun. So let's yeah. get right to it. <laughs> so we have limited time together. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right on in. Okay, great. You love to learn and often is a tool of choice to how you deal with fear. You deal with fear through learning. And so I want you to explain how learning and tackling fear are connected. Well, I interestingly enough, I always loved learning, but I didn't really understand it as a love of learning until I took a values test online and it said that your top values, it kind of lined you on 43 values and my my top three were love, gratitude, and love of learning. And so it really is a specific way to view the world. And I, I think that when I was in seventh grade, to take it even further back, my teacher had given me the furrowed brow award, which is the curiosity award. And so it really stems from sort of everything I can remember about wanting to know what's next. And I think the way that I would tie this to fear is that fear is based in, you know, for a lot of people, the unknown, right? And moving forward into a space, like, for example, this year, you know, turning from what we thought we knew and how COVID sort of upended all of us and moved us into a place of unknown, whether it was in our jobs or in our family life. And and life is about the unknown, right? Nobody can actually know tomorrow. And so what I like about this love of learning that I hold close is that it, it's sort of part of my spirit to be curious. And I think in that curiosity, it helps me to see the unknown or the uncertainty more as a mystery and almost with wonder to ask questions about it and dive into it, knowing that it might be scary, but it might be better. And so that has kind of reframed, I think, how I move forward sometimes in my, in my path. I like that. And that's that's quite insightful. So really, we could look as a situation that may create fear. We could almost turn that around in our mind and say, hmm, wonder what that really means. I wonder how that's going to turn out. And, and as I'm hearing you say, come from a place of curiosity. Exactly. And I think what, what's interesting is if you look at the word uncertainty and mystery, they really mean the same thing. One gives a sense of nervousness and fear, like you said, and the other gives a sense of curiosity and wonder. And so it's a reframing of how you view things, I think. And this idea of learning more in this one life we're living helps you kind of move forward, especially in an entrepreneurial venture or in you know a place of the unknown in, in business with, of course, there's fear and trepidation. But you know, I always say to my 
clients that I work with, would you rather, you know, you really have to ask yourself a question, would you rather not know and feel more comfortable in that space? Or would you just kind of spin never knowing where, which one feels better to you? And usually it's not knowing is sometimes worse. And so the fear can be overcome with a new lens. I think that's, that's at least how I try to move forward with it. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. So I'm going to circle back to something you said in a few minutes, but I'm going to move into just a little different space for a second. So often self-limiting thoughts or expectations can get in your way. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with these so that they don't get you stuck? Well, I work a lot with people who, you know, on their self-limiting beliefs. So it helps that I'm counseling people or coaching people through their own because it helps me, you know, it's sort of like I learned through my own work, which has been great. Everybody carries self-doubt. Everybody carries fear of failure. Everybody carries, you know, this issues of self-worth and to some degree. And I think it's more the degree to which you allow them to stop you. That is what holds us back. So to deny the self-limiting belief isn't really the answer. It's more addressing it and saying, you know, so what I have my clients do sometimes is I have a whole list of them and they sort of workshop rating them, which one really holds me back in which direction. And then circling one that really is usually you know, the primary self-limiting belief. And for many people, it does come back to self-worth or maybe some wounds from childhood or bad experience in the past that they're still holding on to. And very often it's workshopping, you know, the storyline that we stay stuck in, how can we unstuck ourselves? And it really has to do with, you know, kind of reframing and realizing that the baggage we're carrying can be let go. And that like letting go is very hard for people because we become fixed to that identity. The expectations question is a little bit different. But I love this one because it's, for me, it's more forward thinking. It's futuristic rather than past. And it's thinking about when we set expectations and plan everything out, there's a value to that. But we're often let down because of those very same expectations that we've set. And so if we can set expectations with the knowledge that things may not work out exactly as we plan, we're less likely to be kind of defeated by them. So I think the example I could give is when you go see a movie and everybody tells you that's the best movie ever and it's amazing. And you walk out and you're like, well, it's okay. You know, and then you can also go into the movie, not hearing anything and walk out feeling like that was an amazing movie because you had no preconceived notion of what it was supposed to be. I think life is a lot like this, you know? And so um, I do a lot of fun. I think I've told you about my mystery trips where I put myself in situations without expectations so that I can test my chops and see my, you know, kind of strengthen my muscles of being in a place where there's zero expectations and, realize that you're actually okay, where you're going to be fine. So and I can tell you more about those mystery chefs too. <laughs> yeah, it sounds interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little bit deeper into this because there's an aspect of this that I think will resonate with so many of those listening, including myself. And that is how we almost set ourselves up for disappointment and failure, uh, crafting things in terms of expectations. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how we might, when we catch ourselves doing that, how do we stop ourselves from doing that? Because those of us that are very driven, we set goals, we expect to reach them. Is it the expectation that's in the center of the journey that gets us? I think it's healthy to have goals and plans and expectations. I'm a very ambitious person. As you've mentioned, I've started different things. If I didn't have expectations, I think it's it's how you manage them when they're not met and they won't all and knowing in advance that they won't all be met, right? So again, it's it's not necessarily not having expectations. It's impossible. But I think it's who are the expectations from and then how fixed to them 
are you? And this is really the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Somebody who kind of is like, this is the way it's supposed to be, or I can't do this, or I can't do that because it's, or somebody who's more growth oriented and sees a change of plan or change of an expectation or a failed expectation as a possibility of something different or something new. So again, it's mindset, it's lens. It's not necessarily not having expectations, but it's aligning yourself with the fact that they may not always work out. The other side of it is we receive expectations from from the world around us, right? There's societal expectations on the kind of woman you should be, the kind of mother you should be, the kind of business owner you should be, right? And then there's there may be parental expectations that you're still carrying from your past, that you were supposed to be this when you grew up, or there may be expectations of your children, right? The kind of parent you should be, or your spouse, or your partner of the kind of... So we're not just putting out our own expectations. We're kind of always dodging or meeting everyone else's expectations. And I think that what I do is is really the work is is really about getting clear on who you are. I do a lot of work in self-discovery intentionally because I think when you're not 100% clear with who you are in terms of calm space inside yourself where you find center and you're clear on what it is that you want when you wake up in the morning and you go to bed every night, if you're not meeting that authentic self of who you are and what you want, then you're just going to be meeting everyone else's expectations. And in the frenetic busyness of life, you get stuck there. I think that's really what it, and it's not to deny people's expectations. It's okay to have them. It's again, it's, it's just knowing who you are and recognizing that can block you from living your highest version of yourself. Yeah, I'm that's so much clearer. Thank you for sharing that insight because that really is, um, it's an important perspective. It really is because I'm, I'm like you say, I think you cannot not have expectations but is when they disrupt your journey to success and joy and fulfillment that that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to go back to something you said a few moments ago, and that was about reframing. And so reframing is a tool you use to move through uncertainty. We were just talking about uncertainty. So what does this process look like for you when you do reframing to get yourself out of a place of uncertainty? It's a great question. It's very hard. First, I recognize that every sort of lens I wear or every mood I'm in or every decision I make is a choice. So I have this expression, I say, whatever you are not changing, you are choosing, right? Which is, if I want to choose joy, it's my choice, right? And so how do I do that? I think first, my whole philosophy is is we don't pause enough and we don't play enough, right? And in both of these things, we can find that joy to shift for you. So in pausing, we we get clear, we quiet the mind. I do a lot of work in meditation and mindfulness and to sort of really understand what you even want in the first place. And then playing more is where I like to help people, particularly us grownups who get caught up in work and realize that we forgot to play. Somewhere along the way, we just stopped. And so I help people kind of get to the core of what, what does bring you joy? What was it as you did as a kid where you, you know, we're lost track of time. What are you doing now where you you forget, you look, you know, the freedom from time is a really, it's a luxury. And to get clear on what those things are, is it is it gardening, cooking? Is it maybe horseback riding? Is it running? Is it a marathon that's in the spinning in the back of your head that you want to do? What is holding you back from maybe have nothing to do with work or motherhood or parenthood or even being a friend, but what is it that brings you joy? And so I think when you pause more and play more, there is some sort of balance that strikes between how for me, like my meditation practice every day, and I do a lot of playing, meaning for me, it's physical activity. And I, you mentioned sports early on. It's really a part of my 
my joy is to hike and be outdoors and, you know, kind of move. And so if I add those two elements every day to my life, even in small ways, that's how I kind of, I think, can find my balance. But the key is knowing those things, right? What brings you balance? And once you know that, it's balance is an impossible thing to achieve necessarily, but it's more, am I infusing it into my days enough so that I can, that I can stay joyful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So reframing is really an important tool for you and how you yeah. manage life. Yeah. And reframing is, you know, it's, it's pausing. It's putting, we reframe literally when I say lens, it's like taking off the lens and saying, okay, I can stay in this place of impossibility. I can stay in this place that feels stuck, or I can stay in this place of negativity, or I can stay in this, or I can see it in a new way. I can flip the perspective on it and reframe my approach because the only thing I can control is my approach, right? If this thing is happening or this thing is in the way, or this thing isn't working, I can't change that, but I can change my lens on that, my how I reframe and approach it. And I do a lot of handstands for people who know me. They, it's sort of my signature thing. I, I love to balance. And um, the older I get, the more minutes I try to add to my handstand. But it's not ironic. It's funny because I actually, when I do a lot of work with coaching, I, I talk about flipping your perspective. We're literally turning a problem upside down and reframing it to try to find a new way to approach the same thing. And very often just in that, that adding lightness or adding a newness or adding a curious lens will help you reframe as you hit hit something head on. Yeah. I know for myself, I, I use reframing as well. And I often remind myself that the reframing is my choice. Mm-hmm. It is a choice. It's not something that someone else chooses for me or that's forced on me. It's a choice as to how I want to look at a situation. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a whole lot more fun to look at it optimistically than pessimistically, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and that's what you can control. And we can't, we can't control so much. We try. We do, we really don't we? Can. <laughs> yeah. And the one thing we can is, is how we visit the world with our energy, you know, and, and right. the energy we choose to receive from it. And so that, that's really our only choice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll go into a little bit of a personal space. So often women struggle with the feeling of not being enough. So my question to you, Allison, do you ever struggle with this? And how do you realize that you are enough? Yes. Well, that's a great question. I, I do struggle with this a lot, just like most women, most people. You know, I think it stems back from different places in childhood, whether, you know, trying to live up to, you know, parents who expected a lot of us, or also just, you know, and not in bad ways, in, in good ways. I expect a lot from my children as well. And I think, and just, you know, wanting to be, I, I'm very ambitious. I don't, I don't know whether it's because I'm a Capricorn or where, where it comes from, quite honestly, but um, it's always like striving for more. And I think there is a point where it becomes unhealthy, right? Because then you, that's the ultimate self-limiting belief actually is, is self-worth, I think, and self, the courage to just be who you are and not let fear of not being enough hold you back. So turning that fear into something that's more spiritual, energetic, that, you know, no matter what I do, the universe has already taken me here and I'm doing pretty well and that should be enough. And so it's reminding yourself all the time, I'm listening a mantra, I am enough, you know, this is enough. It is enough. It really is. I mean, we have so much. So what I, the way I do that is by perspective, you know? So in my meditation practice, I, I often go up into the cosmos in my mind. And as I float back down to the earth, I see 
people in pain with so many. I've, I traveled the world with UNICEF and been to you know over seventy countries and in the pockets of you know the most remote parts of West Africa and, and places that really are seeped in poverty or conflict. And you know, for me to sit here and say I'm not enough perspective on other lives or other situations or people, friends of mine who've been through serious pain. And I've had my share of pain and I've had my share of loss, but it's framing it in a way that this, you know, I can, isn't this enough? And, and then it often is, you know, with perspective, it really is. We're in the shared human experience and we are all enough. You know, we really are. We show up all we can do, all we can give. That should be enough. I'm going to stay with this one just for a second. So do you ever find yourself being um, more okay with being enough when you move yourself into a place of gratitude? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I have a seven-day challenge I work on with my clients. It's called the self-discovery challenge. And the first day of the seven-day challenge is gratitude. And it's because I can't imagine starting anywhere else. I can't imagine talking about mindset shifts or setting goals or you know pausing and playing or any of the, the work that I do with them without beginning from a place of gratitude for all the things that you already have. Because we have so much. You have, first of all, you have life, right? And and then we could start to list and I, I have them make a gratitude list, but it's not just the big stuff, my health, my family, my life. It's the little stuff. You know, sometimes I'll encourage them to say like right now that the way the sun is sort of shining in on this side, isn't it beautiful? Like grateful for the sun, grateful for that. I met a person who's inviting so many women to come into a shared platform together, you know, grateful for, grateful for like the things that are right in front of you and the little things every day, because the little things end up adding up to a much more appreciative lens that leads to happiness. Really, it, it's gratitude is the key to joy, in my opinion. And yeah. you know, when you meet when you meet people who are really happy, usually they're pretty grateful. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm sitting here in my office and I have my shoes off and I'm very grateful I have socks on because it's cold here in Virginia. <laughs> So that's a simple thing we can be grateful for, exactly. isn't it? It's the little things. I like my pen, the way it writes. <laughs> and I have no holes in the these coffee. socks, which is also good. <laughs> uh, so you told me we all have to be willing to take on more than we know if we want to experience greater success and impact. So how do you do this without being overwhelmed or burning yourself out? Well, I probably, I feel like I have an imposter syndrome when I say this because I'm often burned out. And, and I think the way that I don't burn out, so I do take on more. And that's part of the entrepreneur's dilemma, I think, is this idea that it's, you know, and so actually recovery this weekend, for example, I took a day and I just was like, I'm not going to check email. I'm not going to work. I'm going to do like this tech-free thing and see what happens. And it actually was very beneficial because what happened is you step back and you realize, wait a minute, if I'm serving everyone, I'm actually serving no one. If I'm trying to do too many things, I can't get the one thing done. So when I work with my clients, I'm saying the same thing to them, which is if you have six goals, that's amazing, but you can't get them all done at once. So what's the one thing in front of you? And then with that one thing, how do you break it down into the actionable steps to do it? And so I try to do that with myself when I feel overwhelmed. I, I think it's, again, going back to the pause, it's usually in my 10-minute meditation in the morning where I just suddenly get crystal clear, where the thoughts settle. And you just find the thing that's in front of you for the day or the thing that's in front of you for that moment and not spin in the overwhelm. It's very easy to get overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed often because I'm ambitious, but it's the pause and the recovery, whether it's a day like this weekend or whether it's 10 minutes in the morning, it's in the pause that clarity is found. So that's, I think, the best tip for people, particularly busy, busy women is, you know, are you pausing enough to quiet your own mind 
to get clear on what it is that you need for that day, start there. And then, you know, that day becomes a week, becomes a month, becomes a year. So I'm going to go a little further on this one because I think there's even something more juicy here. So I think there is in that pause that you're talking about, I think if people can keep themselves rooted in present focused thinking as opposed to future or past thinking, it is a big deal because I think we get ourselves really wound up and overwhelmed when we think about, we get into this future thinking or in in the past thinking, because we're thinking, oh, that didn't turn out so well last time. So I'm going to have to give it 150% or I want to get to this point. And as opposed to focusing on what the day delivers and what needs to be the focus then. Have you found the same? Definitely. And I call it conscious awareness, just coming into conscious awareness, which means I'm conscious that right now, this minute will never happen again. And so it's the only thing I have. The future is, I don't know, like I said earlier, whether you see it as uncertainty or mystery, you still don't know it. And so you can stay there and it's good for goal setting and planning, but that's all it's good for. It's not good for getting stuck in a story there. And the past is really good for learning lessons and not just the good stuff, but even more so sometimes the bad stuff or the hard stuff is the gifts, right? That we get from, from failure or from trauma or from struggle. And so there's value in both, but all we have is now. And so it's doing that. This is why I tie pause to play, because when I say play, what I mean is, you know, I worked in, I had this children's music program, Songs for Seeds and Apple Seeds for 15 years. I built a playground for children, newborn to five, and it was my identity for 15 years. And so I know a lot about play. And even at UNICEF, my mandate was the right to play. And it's not that I'm talking about Fisher-Price toys in a playground. I'm talking about losing track of time and being in the moment, being joyful in the moment in whatever you're doing. And if for you, it's, for me, it's running, right? Or, or, or doing yoga. And for somebody else, like I said, it may be cooking in a kitchen and realizing the two hours have passed because you're, or painting or whatever it is. It, that's why I think play is so important because, you know, there's no better present moment, conscious awareness experience where you're just you for the sake of it without, with no specific result, no future intention, no past hangups, just you in the moment. And that's yeah. a beautiful place for people. We just don't do it enough. No, we don't. And I, I, some, I don't know if you've seen some of the statistics, but I'm going to share those with our listeners just to show you how prevalent uh, this situation that you're referring to is. For most people spend 85% of their time either in the future or the past and only 15% in the present. Wow. And, and so when you talk about flipping yourself up upside down, we really need to change that. We need to be 85% in the present and only 15% in the future or the past, and use those places for what you mentioned, which is to learn from the past or to make goals and dream of what's possible in the future, but don't stay there too long. Exactly. And it is hard. You know, it's hard to just live in the present all the time. I Sometimes I have this activity I do um, with some of the clients that I coach, and it's it's um, from Thich Nhat Hanh, who's one of my favorite authors, and he has these like a slow down pace where if you just you're walking and walking and you intentionally slow down to notice, you know, it's like you can do things. Or with my son who's ten years old, I'll have him brush his teeth, and and during while he's brushing his teeth, I'll say, "Just say I'm brushing my teeth. I'm noticing I'm brushing my teeth." Some of our automated activities. Um, there's another headspace. My friend is Andy Puttycomb and he, he'll do this thing in headspace and he'll say, okay, now notice when you're standing up, notice when you're sitting down. And if you just see how many times you can count that in one day, one 24 hour period. And my guess is you're going to get to like two or three because it's really, really hard. And the intention of doing those activities is to really train the mind to become present. And the more you train your mind 
throughout a day, minutes here, a minute there, a second here, a second there, multiple times a day, it becomes much easier to do that in those situations where you are fearing the future and you're trying to come into conscious awareness and you're forcing your mind, you're forcing your mind. It's much easier to train the mind in situations that are, you know, kind of playful and, you know, the way that the way that we can really have our mind understand what conscious awareness is, this mindful moment, this understanding of this is all we have right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's beautifully said. So I've got one last question. So learning to let go of control is tough for driven women like you and I, but we both have learned to do this. So is there a difference between letting go and giving up? And what has changed for you since you learned to let go? There is definitely a difference between letting go and giving up. Giving up means it's sort of like uncertainty and mystery saying the same thing. It's just a different lens. To me, it, it smacks of maybe a little of a failure um, that I'm giving up and it's over. Giving up with grace, giving up with strength is letting go. Letting go is a powerful thing that we have to do. We cannot hold on to everything. I try to hold on to everyone in my life. I can't ever let go. But sometimes those things aren't always healthy for me, right? Sometimes a friend who's holding you back from the flight you're meant to take or a partnership that isn't working or we letting go can be very freeing. It can be the most freeing thing you do. And we all have people or stories or tasks in our job or tasks in our life that that really need to be let go of. And so I also have a whole day dedicated to this where I see it in three ways. There's ditching, which is things we haven't even started yet that are just ideas that are weighing us down, right? Like the book you're going to write. Are you really going to write it? If you're not, let it go and you know, give free up your energetic space for something new. Or there are small things like tasks. Maybe you can delegate the laundry to your teenage child for three days of the week so that you're freed up. You know, So there's letting go of tasks, but then there's letting go of the big stuff. And this is where we we find it hard to do because naturally it means change and change is very scary. But again, going back to the beginning, the lens that you wear through that change could mean freedom. It could mean, you know, newness of, of growth and possibility and not so scary to leave something behind. And it doesn't mean it's gone forever. It just means it's not the thing right in front of you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that beautiful wisdom there. Thank you so much. So now, Allison, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? No, I think I would just encourage women, especially women that are probably making it to this platform to just to take to really focus on soul care and really pause and play as much as possible in their day, because it's so easy to forget that our exercise and our health and our nutrition and our sleep and our meditation practice and all the things that make us grounded in ourselves to just honor that because that that's sort of my one lesson over the years is is it's not selfish to focus on self-care it really is imperative and the people around you benefit from it in ways you can't even calculate when you take the time particularly for mothers to end up you know giving so much if you're working and then also to your children and you get lost somewhere in the middle and um, being lost is not going to serve you well in the end. And so prioritizing yourself at least, you know, once a day for these things that are about your physical and spiritual body are really important. So yeah, I love that. Yes. And Allison, thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy schedule, being a mother, running a company, all the wonderful things that you're doing across the world. And I've just loved you being here. Thank you so much, Annette. I really appreciate it. And it's a great thing you're doing for women. Thank you so much. And Allison is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. <music> 